Hey there, quick announcement before we get to the show. If you are in Los Angeles this Monday, February 6th, please join me for the first ever, first ever podcast live taping. We are going to be doing it at Braindead Studios as part of the Touche Amore and Braindead collab. Uh, we're going to be doing the podcast where I will be interviewing Justin Pearson of The Locust, of Headwound City, of Dead Cross, of Deaf Club, of Retox, of You Get the Idea, Swing Kids. He's been in a billion bands. He's a legend. I'm so excited to talk to him. And then directly after the interview, we will be showing Blood Simple, the very first Coen Brothers film. You can grab a ticket for this in the profile on our Instagram, which is the first ever podcast, or you can hit up Brain Dead directly. Their location is on Fairfax. And if you're unfamiliar, yes, it is a movie theater. It is also a clothing brand. It is all things awesome. I hope to see you there. Tickets on sale now. 15 bucks. Come hang out. This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 127 is Yasi Salik. She is the host of the incredible podcast Bandsplain. She's also a writer. And uh, if you're a Bandsplain fan, the show comes back in March. That's what I hear. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the show, the basic idea is that she chooses a band, then she brings on an expert to talk about it. Might be a music journalist, might be someone in another famous band, might be someone uh, who just knows a lot, someone who's an authority figure on the subject. And uh, they just talk it out. Some of my favorite episodes have included The Replacements with Bob Mayer, who wrote the book uh, on The Replacements called Trouble Boys. Counting Crows with Stephen Hyden. I uh, I was a little bit a part of that episode. That's how Yasi and I first met. Uh, Green Day with our friend Dan Ozzy. My Chemical Romance with Hadifa Durakib. And uh, most recently, Teenage Fan Club with Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie. How cool is that? Uh, if you're new here, by the way, there's a bonus episode available right now where Yasi answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. It helps support the show and you get a lot of bonus content with that. Bonus episodes, bonus radio hours, you get access to a Discord channel, 
Also, if you want to write to me, you can write to me at the first ever mailbag at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, that would mean a whole lot. Leaving a positive rating and review, always so helpful, always so appreciated. And I think that's it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the awesome, the hilarious Yasi Salik. Hi, Yasi. How you doing? Hi, Jeremy. I'm doing honestly great. Wonderful. No. <laughs> how's uh, how's your long weekend going? Did you uh, did you accomplish what you were hoping to this morning? I think you mentioned you were doing a was it a workout class? Um, I was going to do a workout class, but then the rain intervened because I'm mm. born and raised in L.A. And when it rains, I'm incapable of doing anything outside. That's that's definitely our speed. I uh, I, can, yeah. I can completely relate to that. Yeah, for sure. Are you so? It's funny. I know you and I have hung out a few times, and I know a little bit of the story of you growing up, and like you lived in a bunch of different places. But I actually, are you from Los Angeles originally? Like you were born and raised here. Okay, or I just here? lied straight to your face. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm I was born I was born in Los Angeles at Cedar Sinai. Thank you so much. Um, but I was I grew up in Torrance, which is like technically not Los Angeles. So the greater okay. uh the greater Los Angeles area, the South Bay. Wait, are uh, we not are we not calling that Los Angeles? Are we not allowed to? Is who's who's making the rules on that? I just feel like that's a little bit pushing it. <laughs> it's like okay, a little just, outside of the scope of actual Los Angeles. I suppose that's fair. But I've also met people who are like, I'm from L.A., you know, Riverside. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. That I don't want to be that guy. I'm not a poser. OK. Also, I don't know about you. I mean, you're fr- you're from Glendale, right? Is that right? Did I'm from well, that? close enough. Burbank. I'm from Burbank. Burbank. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. That's normal. But I feel like when people are born and raised in like L.A. proper, they're just like kind of psycho. <laughs> There's just something that happens with the being <laughs> raised in those environments that it's like very difficult to emerge as like a normal human being in any like way, shape or form. So I'd rather like be a- from a suburb. <laughs> Like a like a way when you meet someone from Vegas and they say bold statements like, "Oh yeah, by the time I was eighteen, I stopped drinking." Yeah, exactly. Like the people, yeah. Like when I was eleven, I used to like rail lines with Dustin Hoffman's son or whatever. But now I'm clean, and you're like, "Okay, that's cool." When I was eleven, I was smoking weed out of a Coca Cola can. That was like the that was, big, the big stuff. Okay, well, maybe the maybe the Burbank in me that was definitely the speed of of my friends in junior high. They were like really excited to figure out how to smoke weed out of an apple. Exactly, that's suburb suburb life, normal kid life. Totally, totally not like the Hollywood high school life where um, they basically should have a biopic by the time they're like thirteen. It's like all um, the Brett Easton Ellis novel, just like <laughs> what is the, the, the things that I'm like blanking on the name, but you know what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking like less than zero or something. Exactly. Less than zero. Yeah. It's like all just like less than zero vibes. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So then give me the rundown once again of um, for the for the listeners, like where did you end up moving around? Because you, you lived in oh. a bunch of different places. Okay. Yeah. I lived in Torrance like till I was 15 and then I moved to Singapore. And That's I was what 15. it was. Yeah. yeah. And I finished high school there. Um, and then I moved back here to Santa Barbara where I went to college. 
Um, then I moved to San Francisco and then I moved to New York and then I came back to LA and I haven't left since. Do you go back? Have you like gone back to Santa Barbara often? Like since you've been out here, like, is that a place you miss? I don't miss it per se. Um, I'm yeah. like nostalgic for it, but I, do, I have gone back a, like a bunch of times just cause like it's so close and like, yeah, it's on the way to stuff, right? Like you're going up north like you'll be like oh i'm on the 101 let me just pop off and like check out the ivy market that i used to work at you know punish the the cashier there and tell them that i used to work there 20 years ago and they're like they're like 19 they're like cool cool yeah (laughs) um did uh was that as crazy of a like party school atmosphere as it's like told it like like that's like one of the things that people always say about santa barbara it's like oh man like the college there is like absolutely crazy was that like your experience in any capacity yes but also like i don't have a frame of comparison i just thought every college was like that so i guess maybe they weren't but like it's just i think it's the the combination of like everyone living within like a walkable set like two square miles or whatever and and it's all houses like we all lived in houses that had like yards and stuff so people just had tons of parties and then the aforementioned Isla Vista market where I did work I was an Ivy market girl I know some of y'all know what that means um (laughs) we just sold kegs like nonstop. like it would be like 6 p.m till midnight it was just keg after keg after keg after keg after keg so and, you oh know, people God. have cars and everyone everyone rides bikes there. So it's like probably yeah. that adds to the partings. So you don't have to drive, but you can drive the keg home and then park it. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. I mean, there was also like a pretty healthy music scene. Like, oh my God, what was it called? The Pickle Patch. Do you remember this? Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah. Is this Steve Aoki's house? Was Steve Aoki's it? house. Yeah. 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 And they used to have like really good shows there. Like hardcore bands would play and like. All sorts of bands would stop and play in Santa Barbara because it was like, I guess, on the way. I mean, you would know better since you probably did it. But like we got to see so many cool bands and I'm just lucky enough that I'm old. So I was able to work at a record store <laughs> like I lived the dream. Still my favorite job I've ever had in my life. If I could like go back and work in a record store like today, I would do it. <laughs> it's not a honestly job anymore, really, one thousand. 000- 1000% the same. I, I, uh, I, instead of going to college, I chose to work at a record store. So I, like I started the Saturday after I graduated high school and I was there until like 2005. Like I was like, it was like, yeah, t- 2001 to 2005. 2005? <laughs> well, sadly, they, well, held it, it on. Up, they held on for doing Yeah. But the way that they, the way that they survived was that they saw the start of streetwear. So it became a record oh, store slash streetwear store genius yeah. absolute genius yeah mine was called morning glory music um there's two locations might have been more than two but there was one right in isla vista and i would just go there every day and like punish the guy that owned it to get him to hire me like they were not hiring and i was just like i've made a mixtape i was like here's my resume here's a mix so fucking annoying right like what a fucking loser but eventually i I just wore him i wore him down and he was like fine you can fucking work here you start on sunday or whatever and i was like yes (laughs) that's amazing you know uh sort of similar like i was just like such a regular at the shop and then um it was so funny so i finally convinced him to like give me an interview which was like super 
pointless because it's like a bunch of like idiot record store people but then sure. the best part the best part was that like i left the interview and then i was like super like oh man i hope i get the job and i would like i called like a week later because i never heard from them and i was like nervous yeah. to call i was like uh, so i had that interview like is it a no kind of a thing and their response was oh we lost your resume we are waiting for you to call yeah you have the job can you start tomorrow oh my god amazing they were like we've been waiting for you like what yeah. the hell it was the most That's record really store cute. thing. Yeah, irresponsible record store people. But um, yeah. it's, I don't even know, I don't even know that I ever got to go to that store. When did that store close? I don't remember exactly, but it closed like while I was working there, which is why I stopped working oh, there. Shoot. So it must have been pre-2003 because that's when I graduated um, from college. Right. So like really in the heyday of like Napster ruining. Kinda yeah, because Napster yeah. was – Napster was like big, big year. I mean, God, God bless this. I have to say it coincided with my first year at college. So I was in the dorms and it was the first time in my life I had like whatever you would consider high speed internet in the year 2000, which still sure, took yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, 45 minutes to download a song. But like I was yeah. like going for it on Napster. But yeah, so within like three years of that, and I think the other one stayed open, but this was like a smaller outpost because it was in like the middle of the college town. And I think it was just like there was just not enough people buying CDs anymore for it to stay open. Um, To backtrack a little bit, when you were living in Singapore, yeah. uh, did mm-hmm. you have record stores there? Or like how were you finding music when you were living in Singapore? And then there was like an HMV. <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah, I think what happened when I was living in Singapore was like I had found so much music before I left. Like I had gotten really deep by like 15. I was like deep into like the California punk and pop punk universes like fat records like and all like the mail order catalogs and stuff and so i would i would just like because the internet existed by then you know so like i would like go on my little my dad's like big computer and like maybe order stuff or or like look up what was coming out i didn't really order stuff i don't know why i said that things wouldn't come to singapore i would go to the hmv and like often they would stock it like those big those big mega stores would stock that stuff for sure. So that was it, uh, that was most of my discovery in in high school. And I came I came back all summer, every summer and like Christmas break and stuff. So was there ever the any shows stores. that happened when you were living in Singapore that you got to see? Um, not of like any band that like <laughs> would you would think of because like you even you even know now, like a band that goes to play Singapore is like you have to be pretty big, you know, to get there. Um, but there was like a couple bands in my high school <laughs> and I remember there, there was one band really cool. Shout out Chris Waugh. I don't know where you are today, babe, but you were really hot and they did system of a down covers <laughs> That's and I thought amazing. it was so cool. Yeah. And my, yeah. my little high school boyfriend, Patrick Dugan, if you're listening, I'm sure you're not. I think he's like a real estate agent now. He was also in like a little band. They all just did covers really. Maybe they had original music, but I like blocked it out. And they would do like MXPX covers. <laughs> so Hell my, yeah. That was my yeah. Band. And yeah. Thanks for asking. I have been dating guys in bands since I was 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> the uh yeah it's funny like to to do the south like you're saying like the southeast asia type stuff it's like you're either a big big rock band or there's like a lot of like diy like punk hardcore stuff that'll like go through like so touche played singapore now at this point like 10 years ago or something yeah. like that but like but we played 
I think it was like an abandoned army base, like bunker. It was like an abandoned bunker or something like that. Yeah. And it was so fun. Like so, so, so fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was like, I, I remember just feeling like Singapore felt like, like a, almost like a future city. Like it was like super yeah, totally. clean, super, like, I don't know. It just, it felt really different than kind of any other place in the States. How would you even describe that? Yeah, it's really, it's kind of an insane place because it's so small. So like the whole, mm. the whole country is like the size of LA, maybe even smaller. You can drive across a whole island in 45 minutes. So I think it's oh, like. Sure. And it's very new because it was a British colony that like just back like I think maybe a little don't test my history, but like maybe when I was in high school a little after transferred back. Um, And so everything is just held to this like insane standard of like newness and cleanliness and like perfection. And it has a really strong economy. So it's like a very wealthy city. And it's like a mix of different cultures. It has like three or four different cultures and everyone speaks English. Right. That's like the national language because it's mixed. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it was a really interesting place to go to high school. (laughs) I have to say. Yeah. I, I imagine, uh, I remember when we were going there, people were like, just being over the top being like you better be careful like if you like spit gum on the ground you'll you'll get arrested kind of a thing and we're like i I mean (laughs) i i sold ecstasy you know what i mean there's ways (laughs) there was ways around it but it was hard i I mean it was like it was so safe it was such a safe place like the fact that i like this is just my torrents fucking hood rat shit that came out like i still managed to find like the only like three malaysian like gangsters and that would like hang out with high school girls and like that give us ecstasy to sell and they didn't they had knives they didn't have guns you know because there's no guns in singapore so it's like yeah Yeah. that's a little dangerous but like given the scope of things like (laughs) safer dad if you're listening earmuffs babe (laughs) for sure yeah the uh i was also just laughing when people were warning me about that i'm like what kind of like why are you spitting gum on the ground why are you well, exactly like, like why is this even like an issue for you, you disgusting fucking monster just don't exactly. spit gum on the ground anywhere yeah one thousand percent um so i've heard you say and i believe uh even in, in the in you and i just hanging out that uh you were quote unquote radicalized by the red hot chili peppers um that that's was so your true. that's my <laughs> that's my tagline <laughs> so you know the first question i ask music people is always like what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours is that the answer or was there anything earlier than that that maybe you like fell in love with at a younger age no not earlier i think like that is what radicalized me if you will it's also very funny because like two days ago some instagram person with like three followers left a comment on one of my my red hot chili peppers posts and he was like if you like punk you're not allowed to like red hot chili peppers i was like oh i did not realize i had broken the rules bitch um nirvana was the first thing that i felt like was my own like red hot chili peppers was exciting but i was i was 10 and i was just like this is cool but nirvana just like one short year later which it came out the same year but i didn't know about it then I was like, I'm, I've, I'm seen. <laughs> this is for my sure. thing, you know, me and yeah. like 60 million other people. <laughs> was it, was it like seeing the smells like teen spirit music video or what? But do you remember what like was the thing that like clicked the first time? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. That's a really good question. I, I mean, the videos burned into my brain. I think it was the song in particular because I was like sort of an angry 
preteen, just a lot of pent up anger that it was like sort of inexplicable. And that sounded like how I felt. And it was like really crazy to like feel that connection, you know, because like nothing really I mean, tons of stuff sounded like that before, of course, right? But when you're 11, you don't fucking know about it. I never heard Husker do. You know, I'm 11 years old. So, like, <laughs> this is the first thing that broke through, like, because it was so accessible and everywhere. And it's like I was a K-Rock kid, like, from day one. So, like, of course, that's probably where I first heard it was K-Rock. And I was just like, what the fuck is this, bitch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh... – it was funny. I was thinking about the Smells Like Teen Spirit music video uh, a while, like, you know, some time ago and revisiting it and everything like that. And I remember an aspect that I ha had completely forgotten about that as like a young, you know, like it, I was uh, probably, I think, I don't know. Yeah, you're younger uh, than me. Young, so you like, had to, yeah. I think we're about the same age. I'm born. Oh, yeah. yeah we've we've I, gone I'm, through this. I keep thinking. I yeah, think everyone's younger than me, but I'm wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we're we're both old heads at this point. Um. So the... uh. No, it was the, um, you know, when you're in like junior high or like early or like late elementary school, like, and you discover what the anarchy sign is, you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. So cool. So when you see the anarchy sign on the cheerleaders' outfits, you're like, oh, this is so It's like a secret punk. language, right? It was, you're like, oh, they're communicating with me. <laughs> it, no, it's straight up. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you, you really do think as a young person that everything is yours, you know, where you're like, you're like, no, I'm the only one who draws anarchy signs. So when you see right, it on, on my MTV, notebook and my shoes. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I remember that being like a very like, I don't know, like, I guess uh, way into it where you're like, oh, my God, like I'm they, they're connecting with me and I, I'm connecting with them. This is special. I thought I get it more than the kid next to me. Yeah, I thought those shooters were the coolest girls that had ever lived. Actually, me and Shannon Cornette dressed up as them last Halloween, and it was like a very – I felt very good to finally embody the coolest girls I had ever seen in my life back then. <laughs> like That's painted awesome. the anarchy sign on, you know, leotards and stuff. It was great. Sure. Did uh, – do you remember if maybe not the very first, but like what what maybe – some of the first uh, records you bought maybe with your own money was like something that you maybe like an allowance or something you saved up and you're like, I'm going to go buy this. This is for me. Yeah, totally. Okay. It's interesting because I, I remember a couple of like I first things I would buy were singles when I was like in elementary school because um, they were cheap. They were like two bucks, remember? Like, sure. So I would buy like Dr. Dre, nothing but a G thing or crisscross, jump or house of pain, <laughs> um, jump around. But I but the first like CDs I got were actually through the BMG Music Club Gripped, in which I was a um I was a young criminal who would completely fleece these companies because they had like just no way of they just had no way of following up with you or they don't ask for your social security. I'm not I'm 10. I don't know my social security number. I don't have a credit score. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like so yeah, I just yeah, yeah. tape that tape that penny and send it away. So I remember the some of the first CDs were like The Chronic, um obviously um Nevermind. I want to say The Cure staring at the sea the singles. Like that was like the first way I got into The Cure because they would play um, they'll play a bunch of the songs on K-Rock all the time. And I was like, oh, I like The Cure. I'll get this like staring at the sea, the singles with like the old man on the front. And then Ramon's Mania, which might have been a little later because I don't think I knew about – it was a double CD. Do you remember this? Ramon's Mania. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think – but that was probably because um, Jordan Catalano's band 
um, performed I Want to Be Sedated on my so-called life. So that was maybe a little bit like 94. <laughs> That's how I learned about the Ramones or like got really interested I love it. in the Ramones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really want to do – there needs to be a deep dive somewhere on how the Columbia House Record Club worked. Because There's apparently a documentary. I Someone referred no it to me. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link if I can find it. I put it in my notes app. But yeah, there was apparently like a really good documentary done on it. I'm fascinated because, yeah, it's like I I assume it's like the earliest version of what we know as like do a free trial for some app and then like you they expect you to forget about it and then I'll send your charge like $120. Exactly. They would charge you every month for like a full price CD of like $18 and mail it to you. But the thing is, again, they would charge you, but charge what? Because you would right. – they don't have any – I mean, they must have caught on later and maybe they made you put down a credit card or something, but I never had that experience. I had so many CDs from this grift. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder for them, they were just like, look, we're going to probably uh, have to lose a lot of money. But at the same time, the people that we do end up grifting, like we're going to get them good. So it'll like even exactly. itself out. It was also like the peak of the record industry is like flush with cash. Like they were so rich, you know, so I think it didn't. It was almost like worth it to them to like get the music out there and maybe build families. I'm not really sure because like they just CDs were so cheap to make, you know, like it was yeah. compared to like vinyl. So it's like I don't know what the thinking was. I do remember the first CD I shoplifted was Incesticide and it was a long box. So that was like real expert level shoplifting. I'm not sure how I did it. It was from a Best Buy. That's amazing. And I'll, uh, I need to put this out there that the episode, the Bansplain episode recently that mm -hmm. uh, you guys did the draft. And oh, you mean where they like f with their whole chest corrected me that it was insecticide, Rob Harville and yes. um, Christopher Ryan. And I was like, I was just so I was like, oh, OK, oh, I guess I've been just wrong for 30 years. OK, you guys are right. And then I was like, it was just nagging. me. I was like, Man, I don't I was like a real Nirvana head. I feel like I would have known. And then I was like, it was fucking incesticide. One thousand I was it's funny because on a different episode I I heard of uh 60 songs, I Rob Harvilla called it insecticide. And I was like, have I been saying it wrong this whole time? So right? I started really like questioning yourself. It. And then it got brought up in your episode. And then I was like, okay, now both of these guys are saying it's insecticide. I have been wrong. And when you corrected it, I was like, I felt so vindicated. I had so to go do you. it in post. I was like, let me just record a little thing. I need everyone to know. I need everyone to know that I was right. <laughs> have you have you since rubbed it in their faces that they were saying it wrong? No, I think I think they they felt enough shame on their own. <laughs> hey there do you need to get some merch printed my incredible sponsors over at anchorfish printing has a great deal going on right now you can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks do the math that's a great deal for details email michael at anchorfishprinting.com or shoot him a call at 773-340-1286 you can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Did you like corn? Were you a corn fan? Oh my God, babe. I loved corn and I someone actually reached out to me, so I felt like I wasn't like making shit up because I was like, I found out about corn really early because they 
included a single of Blind with the skate magazine Warp that I would buy because I grew up in Toronto. I was really into skateboarding. And that's how I found out about Corn. I was obsessed with Blind. And someone reached out to me and was like, I also, that's also how I found out about Corn. Like, I got the oh single of Warp magazine. And I was like, yes, I'm not crazy. That's so awesome. Was it the, the uh, I don't know if you remember, was it like the white? white case that it just said corn yes. and black like yes the logo? exactly yeah. oh it was a God. white case that just said corn and black in their logo is exactly that i might have it somewhere honestly because i was such a hoarder i have to look all my stuff is like in boxes somewhere but i have to that's go look definitely it, worth I, that's definitely worth some a little bit of money some money yeah, i sure. know right yeah it's, it, but yeah, yeah i was like the, but i didn't know anything about them because there was no it was just the white and the and the logo and then the really fucking good song i don't remember what the b-side was but um i got really into them i was like and they were like cool. At the same time, I yeah. thought like I got into Catherine Wheel. And in my mind, maybe there was also a Catherine Wheel single that came with a Warp magazine. Maybe that's why I'm connecting the two. But I, those two bands were always connected in my mind Corn and Catherine Wheel. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what it could have been. It might have been like Shoots and Ladders or something like that, possibly. But yeah, yeah like I, you know, I've, I've said on the show a bazillion times, probably, but like, I'm wondering if you were similar to where, like, for me, because that first corn record came out in '94, it was mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously the same year that Kurt passed. And for me, it was sure. like that was that was the transition. It's like Kurt died, and I was devastated. And then I found the video, the the video for Blind on the box, and I was like, yeah, oh, oh my god. And then I got into like much more aggressive music after that. Um, but I was with CD singles. I feel like all of the corn CD singles always had like four remixes of corn songs, which nobody needs. I'm sorry, nobody, nobody needs those. Nobody, nobody needs. Nobody asked for that. <laughs> One thousand percent. Yeah, I don't need a Dust Brothers remix of a corn song. Actually, I kind of do. Now that you've mentioned it, I do want to hear the Dust Brothers remix of Blind if it exists. <laughs> um, and then uh, what was the first concert you went to? The first concert I went to technically was probably like Gypsy Kings or something with my parents. But the first concert I went to like of my own volition and will was the K-Rock Weenie Roast in 1995, which my dad would not let me go with my friends. So he escorted me to the 1995 K-Rock Weenie Roast, um, which was at Irvine Meadows, which is no longer called that. Um, It's now called the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater. But fucking sick sick lineup yeah. let me give you a little let me give you a little taste <laughs> the most thing i remember of that is we were in the lawn area i don't know if it, i haven't been there in so long i don't know if they still have like the lawn area which i think, was, like, I, was, I, think I went to an Ozfest there so like the lawn i know what you're saying it's like very yeah it's yeah. like at the top yeah. and it's just long. okay so rage against the machine played and there was like full-on bonfires like people were lighting bonfires and like you know having little personal mosh pits and my dad was asleep like just fully asleep because he had like yeah. gotten secondhand high from the grass smoke as he said in his yeah. parlance um but yeah i mean better than ezra bush elastica whole that whole performance it's actually one of the one of the more iconic memorable ones the one that she like stage dove in and got her like underwear ripped off um right. that probably happened more than once but i just really remember it matthew sweet Oh, the Ramones played. Don't remember that. Rancid, Soul Asylum, Sponge, Sublime, and bitch. Okay, I used to remember that No Doubt played, but No Doubt didn't play. Sublime played, and Gwen came out and did um, Saw that Red. Song with that song. Yeah. Wow. It was That's an incredible. 
Yeah. White zombie so, played throwing muses. It was great. Jesus. Like I I never got to go to a, to any of like the Weenie Rose or almost acoustic Christmas or anything like that. But I was always curious with like that many bands. It's like a rotating stage, right? Basically, it's like a band plays for like 15 minutes or something and then it just changes. It, it was that how I they did it? I think so. They had two stages because they also had Lollapalooza there. And so they oh. also had two stages for that. And it was one stage was just more like it wasn't the main stage. It was like a built stage off to the side somewhere. Like you'd have to like exit the area where the thing was. And so the smaller bands would play on the sort of side stage. Got it. Got it. Got it. And it was all day. Oh. I mean, the shit started at fucking noon and went to like 10 p.m. You know, so that's like how they fit so many bands. Yeah. Were you there right when it started? Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad, I was like, good morning. Wake up. We got to get to the K-Rock Weenie Roast. <laughs> We're not missing a goddamn thing. Dad, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Who played last? Was it Rage? Probably, right? I think it was. I think it was Hole. Oh, wow. Interesting. Wow. Hole was yeah. really big in 94. Oh, for sure. For no, no, absolutely. For sure. I, guess I might be totally wrong. Like, Someone please correct me. I was 12 years old. No, but. no. It would totally make sense. I, I guess like maybe the California aspect of Rage Against the Machine is why I was like maybe thought that they would play last. I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Um, damn, that's awesome. So uh, this is probably jumping ahead. So when um when did you get interested in like music journalism? Were you like reading a ton of magazines? Like were you like obsessed with music magazines when you were a kid? Obsessed with music magazines and like zines and stuff. Um and MTV News. Actually, my dream was to be an MTV VJ. Um, mm. That was, like, not really available to me. Um, no, I, I started, like, doing – I, like, decided I wanted to be, like, a music journalist in, like, when I was, like, 11 or 12 years old, which was, like, so stupid and crazy. Like, after I cycled through, like, the normal jobs of, like, I want to be a veterinarian or I want to be a marine biologist or I want to <laughs> be a waitress. That was my first dream job. Um but yeah, I I would I wrote for like the school paper in middle school, which was like you look back and it was like you know printed on construction paper. It was like so. But I remember <laughs> I would like I would like find the news about music from like AOL music website or whatever, and then I would simply right. like rewrite it in my own words, and that was my like journalism. <laughs> You're like uh, this week. Radiohead dropped a tease for their new album coming out for like the literally like that like that yeah I was like a boots on the ground hard-hitting journalism (laughs) reporter by just like regurgitating what was in like the aol.com or like mtv news that's really cool that your school actually printed that though yeah that's what did you convince them of that like were you like hey can I have a music column or were they yeah I think so fill the paper I think they were just happy people. There's not a lot of like middle school kids who were like dying to write for the school paper, you know? Totally. Totally. It's not um, like it is in TV and movies. Like nobody wanted to do anything. They were like, go away. Join the club. Get out of my fucking face. <laughs> um, so what, uh, what was your um, music magazine of choice? Were you like a spin kid? Were you into Rolling I Stone? I love like, to you- spin. Yeah, I had a spin subscription. I had a Rolling Stone subscription. I was also like deep sassy girl. So like they had really good music coverage. Um, I would also like go buy like import <laughs> magazines, you know, like maybe Mojo. 
does this look okay. like? Do they have those yeah. on? I feel like they did. Um, like basically whatever I could get my hands on because I just like was obsessed because it was past like being obsessed with the music, right? Like you were just like obsessed yeah. with the people and like you wanted to like see their pictures and know more about them and stuff. This is a, a definitely a dated magazine, but so in Burbank, the pavilions got some of those, like got some of those like uh-huh. import music magazines. And I used to go in there and uh, rip out photos from the circus. Remember Circus Magazine? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Circus was basically just like teen bop, but for like metal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it was like not a lot <laughs> yeah. of articles, but just a lot of different photos of like Jonathan Davis or like <laughs> Trent Reznor, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would just go in there and just like tear tear them out and then st- and like just be all crunched and like just shoved in my shirt or something and like then that. go like what like, like not... hang them hang them on your wall on my wall totally nice yeah nice a, t- a thousand percent yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i it's uh it was just crazy to me that like the random sh- uh, grocery store would carry yeah like hit parader circus and it used like to be like that though it, it do, did be like that sometimes and it no longer be like that yeah, yeah it bums me out even going to like barnes and noble now and in, in uh at the americana here and i look at like their music magazine section it's like so dwindled down these days i don't even really know what's in print it's kind of heartbreaking yeah i don't either i mean i heard they i heard they brought cream back in print oh right yeah 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 that came back yeah yeah um and so what about uh what about the first person that did you ever try like reaching out to interview people? Like, do you remember the first person that you interviewed? The first person I interviewed was like later. It was, I was like after college. Um, okay. Did I you interviewed. Actually, well, yes. Did you do any college stuff for journalism? Yes. I. <laughs> thanks for asking. I wrote for the Santa yeah. Barbara Independent Weekly newspaper. Um, another yes. thing, by the way, that's another thing that I was like obsessed with was was the weeklies like la weekly was like such a fucking touchstone i don't know if it was for you either. that's how i found out about shows yeah. like when i was totally. still living here and i was like you know um and and some i couldn't go to the shows because i was like 14 15 but that's how i would like look at the like who was playing the with Roxy, who and i would Troubadour. like find out about yeah. bands yeah they had those like all those listings and they had great band coverage too um but yeah i i interned the santa barbara independent weekly newspaper and i wrote about music and movies and I got a piece of hate mail for my first movie review. <laughs> I wish I still have it. Oh my god! What yeah, was it was a mo- it was a movie called Down with Love with Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. Um, I cannot yeah. like. I think it might have been like a weird period piece. Gun to my head, I can't re- remember what really it's about. But the guy who wrote me the letter, he was clearly like an older man. Maybe, I mean, who knows? To me, everyone was older. I was like nineteen, but. It sounded like senior citizen vibes. And he called me like, he was like, this woman is clearly bitter and she doesn't know what love is. And I was like, well, sir, you may be correct, but this movie was still bad. (laughs) It was still bad. Oh my God. Anyways, I should revisit. But yeah, it was fun. I would like, I would just. hmm? No, go ahead, please. I was saying, I would just like write about like what was going on. Like I got to like review shows basically that were like happening at like Velvet Jones and like stuff like that. The coach house. It was fun. Okay. Yeah. I was but say, no interviews. Were you, writing, were you writing about like stuff happening at like the pickle patch? No, it was like more like by that point, like very like downtown scene. Like yeah. the local bands that were playing, but then also bands that would come through. 
Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what about so? Was that the first place that you like got published? I guess like aside from you know your no, it was the Cali Mayor Middle School, <laughs> Cali Mayor <laughs> Middle School newspaper. Um, yeah, that was that was the first place I got published was um the Independent for sure. So then, when you left there, uh, did you do freelance writing for other for like? any music magazines or like, or what was your next move? Yeah, I wrote, so I moved to San Francisco um, and I, I interned at Accelerator and I wrote for um, Vapors, which I don't know if you remember Vapors. It was like a graffiti and culture lifestyle magazine. It was based in Sacramento. Um, I actually became their music editor eventually, but yeah, I really actually funny sliding sliding doors moments, right? I in, interviewed to intern at the East Bay Express and I did not get the job, but if I had, I would have been Rob Harvilla's intern. Is that <laughs> right? That funny. Yeah. Oh, but wow. I was not hired. I was not hired. Um, so yeah, it was Accelerator, which I don't know. Do you remember Accelerator? It was, it was more, uh, yeah, it was more, um, like fortet and like more like electronica type okay. driven music. Um, and, at the same time, I was working at an underground hip hop record label in Oakland. <laughs> this was my oh, little wow. music life. Mm-hmm. It was called yeah. ADV Records. Is that still around? I'm not sure. Maybe in some capacity. They like their like claim to fame was they put out all the first Dilated People's records. Okay. Um, so that was kind of a big deal. Got it. Got I was it. really there into was underground def- hip hop by then. I didn't forgot to mention. Back, back. So back, this would have been probably like 2000. 2000- Four two thousand five ish probably a little earlier two thousand like three yeah okay that's when I moved up I remember there. yeah because I from because I was working at the record store at that time and that wave of underground hip hop was like so massive like that like that coincided kind of almost with the streetwear coming in at the same time exactly you know what I'm exact was, same time was, yeah yeah like we couldn't keep you know fucking. Uh, God. Living Legends, Di- Aesop Living Rock. Legends, Souls of Mischief, Dilated Peoples, like Hieroglyphics, totally. like Hieroglyphics, all of that stuff yeah. was, was just killing it. And I we worked were, like, right James, by the Hiero office. We used to go oh, to right? Hieroglyphics. Yeah. Yeah. This was wow. like, I got really into it in college. And so like, that was sort of like what, I, and so my first interview ever was with Jean Grey. Do you know that rapper? Oh, I don't know if I do. Oh, she's like iconic an iconic, like yeah. early, like sort of um, underground uh, female rapper. Okay. And I did it for vapors and I was very excited except my recorder didn't work. It was like over the oh, phone no. and it was like very yeah. complicated to record interviews over the phone back then, you know, cause it was, this was like landlines were talking, sure. you know, you weren't, I wasn't like interviewing her with my sidekick or whatever. Um, and it didn't work. So I ended up playing mash with her, you know, the game mash. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and just like, <laughs> keeping a record of it and they like they ran and vapors was so cool they let me do whatever i wanted i like feel so grateful because that's like i don't know about you but like when i would read music magazines especially british ones when i was younger like that's what i wanted to do what i really probably wanted to do was become a musician but i was too scared so instead i took this other path but i was like yeah i want to have this like person like this personality driven writing where like you get to like say what you think and do fucking crazy weird shit with the artists and like write about it which like that literally doesn't exist anymore but there was like a brief window where it still did i remember vapors let me i was like i want to interview jim jones but i want to go on a date with him they're like okay (laughs) that's 22 years old yeah 
should not have been in Jim Jones's hotel room. Nothing happened, but it was like I was like, "Hello, sir." Um, like me and MF <laughs> Doom played video games. Like we played Grand Theft Auto and just like yeah, smoked weed. And he like let me try on his mask. <laughs> it's really cool. See, that's I, truthfully though, like that's the kind of uh, articles or journalism that you would look forward to reading because at that point you're not just you're not just like the person writing it. You know, it's not just like the little name at the bottom of the article. It's like people then get used to you and learn about you. It's kind of like the early days of, of it's like podcasting and print, you know, it's like people rely on you and want to know your 100%. personality. And I do you think that's what drove you to wanting to do podcasting. Like that kind of thought. Probably. I never knew about podcasting until obviously much later. I think it sure, was just yeah. that like, I was not a successful journalist I probably for that reason, because that's not really what I wanted to do. I'm a little self-absorbed and I'm a little bit of a ham. And I was, you know, that's probably more what I wanted to do is like, like you're saying, like sort of a personality driven thing. Um, And that's not what journalism was or is. And I mean, it was briefly, I think in some sects of it, but like that kind of disappeared. And like the journalist as persona, like you would think of like, Buster Bangs or like, you know, Robert Christgau or whatever, like the OGs, like that's not really a thing. There's a, a handful, but like it, it's more serious. And then all the kind of writing that I was getting to do was so formulaic. It was like, go interview this actress t- in the first sentence, talk about her hat or what she looks like, make sure to mention what she eats. And I was just like, who fucking cares, bitch? You know, like, so I just like ended yeah. up stopping doing journalism because I was just so uninterested. No, I wasn't good that, at that kind of journalism. I just wasn't good at it. Yeah, because you're not um, you're not in any capacity emotionally motivated to have any of those conversations. It's like it almost tears the it tears any sort of, sort of excitement out of even talking to those people because you're like, oh, I have to ask them these like awful, boring, monotonous yeah. questions. Totally. Damn. I did get to like there was like a the streetwear thing that you mentioned. I do I do have a checkered streetwear pass because that's pretty much where I sort of like segued into after the record label and stuff but um i wrote for a long time not a long time for the existence of it there was this magazine called misbehave it was so cool okay. you can get your hands on it it's there's it might be digitized now i think finally it got digitized it was the sister magazine to mass appeal and okay. they also let me do whatever i wanted so like i had a i had my own column called yossi tries and i would just like try weird shit like I went to a high school party and funny enough, I went to a high school party with Dylan Francis, who was still in high school, who wasn't Dylan Francis yet. He was just a kid I knew because he interned at the hundreds. Um, but oh, they like wow. took me to a high school party and I was like, you know, 25 or 26 and I was like trying to blend in or just like silly stuff. Like I went to like a fortune teller to find out who my husband would be and they let me do that kind of stuff. And I also got to interview cool musicians and I interviewed Katy Perry for their last issue for the cover and they kind of let me do it in that way, which was fun holy shit that's amazing that was the end of that that was the end of that era for me though (laughs) um well before we move on to this did you find out who your husband is gonna be she basically told me that i had a curse on me and there was actually a very handsome doctor that was like wanting to connect with me but because of this curse he was unable to and for a mere seven thousand dollars she would lift the curse (laughs) and i was like oh man shucks that sucks guess we'll never meet (laughs) If you're out there, Dr. Handsome, (laughs) if anyone wants to donate $7,000 for me to finally lift this curse. 
could you imagine if you somehow got the seven thousand dollars from like people donating and you found this fortune teller and Literally. just confronted her? And I was like, "Here, I know it's been twelve years, but I need to find this doctor." <laughs> so I, f- I feel like you need to turn that into a script. That's a really good. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> like fun remembering that when you were in your 20s you're like haha and then you're 40 and you're single and you're like you know what actually <laughs> like seven grand's not that much what are what what's seven grand between friends yeah like the story could be like like you've become extremely neurotic or something and you genuinely <laughs> think that this happened and you're like i need to find this person to get it lifted that's a great you're right i mean i'm gonna right off when we get off of this i'm gonna hit the Hit the final yeah. draft. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, okay, so let's talk uh plane stuff. I'm I'm a okay. fan. You and I met through uh through this show for the most part because uh I got tweeted at saying or like you posted who's counting crows fans out there. Right. Someone, yes. Someone, ta- someone tagged me in it and I was like, Well, what is this about? And then I uh I I looked it up and uh recorded a little thing about um Adam Duritz for the show yes i was so excited to be a part of that and then from there i started listening because i was like well i need to you know get into the show see what this is all about um like i can't contribute to something if it's bad you're coming up on what two it's been basically two years now of doing the show yeah it'll be two years next well i don't know when this is going to come out but it'll be two years in february of 2023 well that will be when this is coming out so that's perfect Um, okay great (laughs) so congratulations on that thank you um when you were starting to come up with the idea for this show was steely dan the first band that you actually wanted to do an episode about like what why steely dan Abs- is episode absolutely one? absolutely not okay. no heart if you will no heart um yeah. no i i i actually and this happens a lot i pick the guests sometimes first and then they come to the table with what they want to do and Alex Papadimas is a friend. I needed someone. I needed someone who would be down to like go through the fucking rigmarole of what it is to like figure out a first episode of a podcast that doesn't exist. That's kind of complicated. Um, so, and he wanted to do Steely Dan because he's like a you know known Dan man, Dan Stan. Um, so that's why we did Steely Dan first. I still, I'm so sorry. Come, come at me, bro. It's not. For me personally, I don't. Sure. I would never. I would never yuck someone else's yum, if you will. <laughs> but to me, it'll just forever. It'll forever be like drugstore CVS core music. Like it's like I just associate it with like what you hear when you're like grocery shopping. Yeah. So I gotta ask. So when so you it's like you have this idea for the show, and then he's like, "I want to do Steely Dan." Where you're like, "Fuck!" Now I gotta. I think learn no, because I didn't even know enough about them to like dread it. I was just like, okay. Maybe Steely Dan's good. I don't know. <laughs> and then it turned out I knew all of the songs. I just didn't know that they were Steely Dan songs because they're just the songs totally. that I've heard for years at CVS. Yes. Yes. That's. Yeah. I feel like that's like the Beatles or Rolling Stones thing for a lot of people who like write those bands off. And then later in their life, they start going through their catalog. And you're like, I've known all of these songs my entire life. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think part of the reason we even did the show was for that exact thing, for like things that felt daunting or like you know, you're like super aware of, but you've never really like taken the time to get into it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's one of the things that I really like enjoy about the show is that there's bands that like you people only really think about maybe one or two records from them, but then it's like you're getting in like you're showing it's like you're, it's a way to show appreciation for like oh no these later records actually do have good songs on them, you know? And yeah, the idea that you guys there's something actually, redeemable like, we can find something yeah. redeemable in these later albums. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, this is sort of like a, a kind of a generic question, but like, what is there anything that after two years now that you've maybe learned about yourself in this process of like getting the show oh made God. and like talking it out? So much. I learn about myself every week. It's truly like a, an added layer of therapy. I get so unwell when I'm researching these shows where like somehow everything about the journey of that artist becomes a reflection of something I'm going through in my life. It's truly like profound. <laughs> wow. I need, I need help. I need help. I need to be committed. Um, but no, I've learned tons. I think one of them, and maybe you'll relate to this as a fellow podcast um, celebrity. Person. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> podcast hero. Um I really learned how to just trust whatever came to my mind that I thought opinion wise and just let it, you know, like I, I think I've, I learned how to be really intuitive. Whereas like in the past, I think I would have like second guessed things I was thinking or like would be like, it's just, there's not time. And I started to just be like, I'm just channeling. It's just whatever's coming is coming. And it's often the best stuff, you know? That's a, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I feel, I don't know how, if you were the same way, but like I was super anxious and really uh, self-conscious of those first, like the first probably like three or four or five months of the show where I would be like listening back to episodes and I'd be like, Oh, should oh I fix God. that? Oh, should I, you know, that kind of a thing. Also, is um, there a, do you edit your own show? So I'm lucky to have an editor who's who's okay. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say you're braver helpful. than yeah. the troops. I, I listened to every episode all the way through, up until honestly maybe like five months ago, six months ago, and there is no greater hell on this earth. It was like Guantanamo. <laughs> like of like radical self-acceptance i had to be like wow interesting i went through like so many phases i was like first it was the classic everyone knows your own voice is annoying to you sure babe yeah totally wait till you get to the point where you're like wow my own thoughts and feelings are fucking unbearable i'm the worst and most annoying person alive i should be put to death that's um basically where i got after a time i don't know if you relate to that (laughs) I can 1 million percent relate to this. So the way we do it is my boy, Tim edits the show and then I listen back through it. So I do still no, have no. to listen. I know no. I need to, I know. So, you need to surrender the control, babe. That's what I learned. I had to, sur- how you are perceived is none of your business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I'm listening back through, it's basically like to write, the like description of the episode what we talked about and then also like pull up pull a little quote like all that sort of stuff to where like that's that's yeah it's a control thing for me for sure where it's like and also just making sure that everything is right you know like i trust him you know like i trust the editor obviously but like there's always just like oh maybe that shouldn't be in there or i don't know whatever I, i need to yeah it's tough but um it's uh 
is there a way that you think like aside from the personal stuff like that you've seen the show evolve over these last two years definitely like when i first started i think i imagined it to be more like the guest comes on and explains the band to me (laughs) and over time it's sort of evolved into me being the not explaining it to them but me being the person that does like the lion's share of like the very detailed research and then they just bring to the table like their general knowledge and expertise that they just have within themselves and then we have like a good conversation around it but I didn't do that level of research at all in the beginning and people are mad about it and they all they write me and they want me to redo the earlier episodes. They're upset. <laughs> what you're totally gonna do, right? Um so <laughs> no, no, never. <laughs> uh, that makes sense though, because yeah, it's like you it's tough to sort of like put the um hosting kind of uh task onto the guest because it's like they might not be comfortable talking into a microphone so it's like to have them sort of narrate is tough so it's like smart to have you sort of become the narrator in it and then them just kind of color in all like the 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 little aspects and breaks right exactly and that just like something i learned over time you know and just like structurally like we didn't in the beginning we didn't do it like just soup to nuts a to z start from the beginning you know this person was born on this day and go to the end of the discography we would sort of jump around in a different way and i started to feel like that wasn't as wasn't as easy to navigate for me but also i i feel like a story is told linearly and that's that's how you get the most satisfaction out of it so i feel really happy that we started to do it that way um do you have any episodes that you would like immediately be like that's my favorite episode or is there like one a couple of them or is it like picking children yeah no i mean there's definitely ones that i like less i won't mention which ones they are (laughs) um yeah i love the pj harvey two episode one both because you know i'm a known massive pj harvey stan but also because ann powers is like one of the most brilliant um people alive and so to be able to discuss that artist with someone like Ann Powers like I love that episode um I really love the third eye blind episode for completely different reasons just because I think it's they're a really fun and funny band to talk about and um (laughs) Chris Black while a polarizing figure it was I thought perfect as a guest and I think he's very funny so um those are like the ones I can think of off top the Lemonheads episode just because I love the Lemonheads and also I a bit lost my mind during the Lemonheads research (laughs) Not to be like whatever, but I love a lot of the like eighty percent. Yeah, that's I would great. Say <laughs> Super. All the ones with Rob Harvilla, the U two one is really good. I think that's a two. Was that a two parter? I can't remember. Smashing Pumpkins is a two parter. Yeah. yeah, I love the my children. Even the uglier ones, I love them. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed the replacements episodes as well. Oh yeah, that great one, really Bob Mara. Yeah, which who we yeah. we found out is um weirdly somehow Mike Mike like third cousin or something like we're like not family serious? family but like this it was very hilarious we found out that my uncle is his godfather wow <laughs> was that like through yeah. like an ancestry.com kind of thing or how did you figure that out 
No, we're not like blood related. Oh, sure, he just was yeah. like, oh, Salek, like, are you related to this? And I was like, yeah, that's my uncle. And he was like, oh, that's my godfather. And then I remembered, I was like, oh, yeah, I like hung out with your little sister when we were kids, like at my uncle's house. It was a really strange oh, uh, coincidence. Wow. That is really crazy. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I wrote this question out and I feel like we maybe touched on it a little bit, but I said, uh, I asked, uh, or I wrote, I asked, I wrote, uh, do you find it difficult to separate your taste from the pitched artist's taste? Like, especially um, considering all the work you have to do. Like, um, so I've heard you, uh, I think, make jokes about maybe you're not the biggest Primus fan, but obviously you did a Primus episode. Um, is it hard to like get excited yeah. about that? Or do you almost enjoy it more because you're not like can not and maybe not enjoy it more but like because you're not personally connected to it it's like a journey of learning about this person even though you might not connect with the music yeah i actually really enjoyed doing the primus episode um producer dylan particularly really hates primus if any if anyone came out in the 90s i don't care how bad it is i have like a soft spot for it because that's like that's my vibe, you know? So, like, even if, like, the music isn't my favorite thing, like, I'll enjoy the music videos, like, whatever. Um, and I I just genuinely, I've said this, and it sounds so fucking corny and lame, and Ernesto goes to camp over here, but, like, I think every band is, I feel like every artist is interesting. <laughs> I just, I think every person is interesting, like, even if we're going to go further. Um, but I to me, it's like always the only one I didn't really enjoy. And I think I would if I went and did it again. It's only because it was one of the earlier episodes was Fish because I was like, good Lord, this is far worse than I had even imagined or conceived of. Like I already knew it was bad, but it's worse. It's way worse. But I still I think I still enjoyed learning about like the culture. Like it was there's still there's still so much because fandom is fucking interesting. Totally. And artists are interesting. You know, they just it's just I I get I get really fascinated by it. So, yeah, it doesn't it almost doesn't matter to me if I like it or don't like it. Yeah, it's like the same kind of journey. I, I Maybe like I like it a bit more when I like it because then I'm like really into it, you know, but only marginally. Yeah, uh, I I'll be honest. I did not listen to the fish episode because I I am also not. That's OK. I'm not interested. But um, <laughs> sure. But yeah, there's something almost kind of fun about almost someone maybe someone trying to convince you of why they're important or why they're cool. You know what I'm totally. saying? As someone who's like totally. so disconnected yeah. from it. So I get it. I totally understand. Um, And then uh, is there any is there any artists that the last question about band split? Is there any artist that you would love to do an episode on? But like it just might be way too, way too niche to uh to knock out. Like, is there any like just very Yossi bands that uh might be tough to pitch. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I get to decide what I do for the most part. Of course, it is preferred when the band <laughs> is bigger because it gets a bigger audience. Um, but I think I could do whatever I wanted, you know. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what are the smaller bands that I know I have to, like, offset with, like, a bunch of bigger bands. I mean, I, I want to do, it's not really smaller, right? But like, I want to do like no effects for sure. Cause they were like a big, they were like a big deal for me. Oh, the Sundays. I love the Sundays. Galaxy 500. These are bands that are like, I don't know if they're that niche. Do you think they're that niche? But like, I guess compared to like smashing pumpkin. <laughs> sure. No, totally, niche. totally. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. I, I'll admit, so, I think you, 
you the pastels you, you replied or you comment something uh, i posted about listening to galaxy 500 like the other day right and i love galaxy 500 yeah. i i am a firm believer in admitting when you're new to stuff i never got into i i i just got into them i just got yeah into that, that makes band. sense they're they're very and i'm obsessed like, right now it's a band yeah it's a band that you had to have like somehow found right because totally. <laughs> they were they were pretty niche and they didn't last a long time and you know you'd have to sort of have like wormholed through those that kind of music you know and then you would have gotten into them i i don't remember how i got into them but probably from an ex-boyfriend if we're being fully transparent but i man i got so deep and then randomly one i dated a guy briefly who's like ex-girlfriend who is still his best friend is married to dean wareham and has that other band with him luna and i was like look at me connected to wow dean wareham it's the old kevin bacon degrees of separation exactly that's right yeah absolutely six degrees of yassi (laughs) (laughs) uh this has been awesome i'm gonna ask you the last question which is when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards this could be any aspect of your journey that I've been working so hard towards. I think, I mean, this is going to sound corny, but I think really doing the podcast has been, it's just been so gratifying because like I never, A, I never thought this would be a job, (laughs) but B, it's just like, it's such a beautiful synthesis for me of all the things that I'm genuinely interested, like just stuff that I've done since I was a kid, like obsessively read about bands, listen to music, fan out and then like get to like talk and say my opinions and talk to friends about music like I get I have a real like guess what dad you said it couldn't be a job look at me now bitch right job yeah (laughs) so yeah I I I did I think I do with the podcast feel really like wow I I, like somehow made my interests into a actual um you know, paying job, which right. is insane. And I'm so grateful. That's amazing. Yeah, no, it makes, that makes complete and, uh, and perfect sense. So, uh, I'm happy for you. The show yeah, is great. They're going to pay me. They pay me to come on and say, you know, David Matthews, he's so hot, babe. And they're like, here's a check. <laughs> insane. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> what a world. We love what him. a world. What a world. Thank you so much, Yasi. You're the best. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Yasi for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where Yasi answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And if you enjoyed the show, please give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this. It would mean a whole lot. Thank you so much. Take care. Be good. Bye bye.